Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week six, day two of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 15, 22 through 41. Well, welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? Speak to us. Fill our hearts with the knowledge of you today, God. We want to know you more and encounter you through your word. Fascinate us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 15, starting in verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Now, um, Antioch is in Syria, but they're saying the broader Syria. And then Cilicia is actually uh, kind of the state in the Roman terms of what we would now consider kind of south central Turkey. And so it's the place where Barnabas and Paul went is they're sending this letter to all of these Gentile believers in that area. Verse 24. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you, uh, to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Saul, men or Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. I want to pause right there. So they're sending not just Barnabas and Paul, right? They're basically saying, we understand that the conflict that there was Barnabas and Paul that came into conflict with y'all over this, this issue of converting to Judaism first. And so we're sending a couple of extra people that are independent observers, if you will. Like they don't have a, a, a dog in the fight like Barnabas and Paul did. So we're sending you more people to say, this is authentic. Like we are actually saying this is not just Paul and Barnabas trying to pull the wool over your eyes and say, you know, one thing. And when we didn't actually say that, that's what's going on here. So verse 27, therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are abstained from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. <clears throat> and I say this often, anytime the Bible repeats itself, it's important. We need to, we need to, perk up our ears, we need to listen, we need to take note. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't often repeat itself. And when it does, we should really pay attention. And here we've just had something repeated twice in the same chapter, in the same, in, just in the, in the same brief little section of scripture. They've essentially, James told us what he told us. And then Luke is, is saying, here's what the letter said that they sent. And it's essentially the same thing. They, they changed the order around a little bit. But it's essentially exactly what James got up and said. And so, again, it, the scripture has repeated itself. So this is very important for us to understand. Saying, we're not going to put any other burden on you except for these four things. You do well to avoid these things. James, interestingly, doesn't say, <clears throat> the apostles don't write this letter and say, this is sin for you to do these things. They say, it, you would do well to avoid these things. 
it's a very interesting way to write that, right? Um, but they're essentially changing the rules and actually putting it in writing for all of the rest of humanity from then on. Again, I've, I've, I said this yesterday. I've alluded to this multiple times during this study. This thing that just happened means that I, as a Gentile person, do not have to first convert to Judaism to be a Christian. And before Cornelius, a few chapters ago, no one had done that. And then Cornelius is the first Gentile Christian. And now then there's people proselytizing in Syria and there's people becoming Christians who are Gentiles. And then Paul and Barnabas go and they speak to the Gentiles and lots of Gentiles started getting saved. And now it's really exploding into the Gentile population, this message of salvation of your sins, forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus. And this is becoming huge. And so they make this statement again. I, I can't overstate this. I said yesterday that this is essentially, um, it's not overturning scripture. Scripture backs this up. We saw that James points to that. And we could find lots of other scriptures in the Old Testament that point to this. But what it is overturning is thousands of years of understanding, thousands of years of, of the practical way in which the, the Jewish people dealt with Gentiles. Like, if you want to be saved, if you don't want to be reprobate, you've got to be circumcised and follow the laws and customs of Moses. That's how you actually get right with God. And, um, and it's interesting that even the Old Testament scriptures prophesy that there's coming a day where God will call in even the Gentiles to be a part of this thing, but not yet, right? So it's not that they were wrong in the Old Testament in saying that you had to be converted to Judaism to be right with God. They weren't wrong in saying that. That's The scripture actually makes that clear. But it prophesies of a day coming when that won't be the case anymore. And James and the apostles and all the people in Jerusalem, they realize they're in that day. They realize that that day, that prophecy has been fulfilled now in their time period through the saving work of Jesus. Verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. I'm just always amazed at how many people are prophesying in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have a few prophets by name. You know, we have some books from them. We see them in the Old Testament. We see them written about. And we know that Samuel established uh, companies of prophets and that there were actually more prophets than just the ones that we think of in the Old Testament. There were actually lots of them. And that kind of waxed and waned. And then some of them got swept up into wanting money from kings and things like that. And so then they end up becoming, going from being in the school of the prophets to being false prophets. And, and there's all of this swirl, but, but there's a distinction in the Old Testament between people who are prophets and people who are not. And, and it was a, almost a lifestyle. It was, it was just so many things surrounding. And now what we're seeing is it feels like there's more and more just what I would say, normal people, regular folk, who are prophesying. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 
He says that we should eagerly desire all of the spiritual gifts, but especially that we would prophesy. And it's because of this right here. What they're saying is that they, they, they came and they encouraged them with these prophetic words, right? It's not saying they were prophets and that they taught them, right? They're encouraging and strengthening them, them through prophetic words to all of these individual believers and to the group at large. This is a very, very powerful thing. And we see this over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. One of the things that up to now we've seen is that they keep saying that the Holy Spirit falls on them and they speak in tongues. That's what they saw with the Gentiles. And they keep seeing that with the Gentiles is this act of speaking in tongues is their sign that the Holy Spirit has, has, regenerated them essentially. And there's a lot of debate today amongst Pentecostal people is like, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved and this kind of stuff. And, and I don't think scripture says that at all, but what it does say is that speaking in tongues in those circumstances was definitely a sign that the Holy Spirit had fallen on them. But I think what's even a, a, a more biblical sign, if you will. And Peter even quotes this and alludes to the fact on the day of Pentecost, they weren't just speaking in tongues. They were speaking in tongues while prophesying to the people. They were using tongues to prophesy to the people. And in these occasions, there's, there's tongues where people are being prophesied to using tongues, but it was actually prophecy there was the sign that the Holy Spirit had come in a lot of cases. That's what Peter quotes from the prophet Joel in, in, in the last days. Young and old men and women will prophesy. This idea of prophecy being this thing that only the, you know, the prophets, the Elijahs, the Elishas, right? The Samuels, that thing, that prophecy, that's going to be taken, that's going to be given to all redeemed flesh, everyone can hear the voice of the Lord. Again, they're not using, um, they're not casting lots anymore to, to hear the voice of the Lord. They're hearing the voice of the Lord. Regular believers on a regular basis are hearing the voice of the Lord. And so this is a, a huge transition. This, I think more than anything else in the book of Acts is one of the signs that people have 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 faith in Jesus is that the Lord starts speaking to them prophetically. And so they're, and, and I'm not, there's a lot of craziness swirling around people calling themselves prophets and things like that. Nowadays, I, I'm not interested in getting into those kinds of debates. We're not talking about people who get up and they call themselves a prophet and they say, the Lord is, is saying, you should give me $500. The Lord is saying you should go over there and do that. Right. That means nothing. Right, that, I mean, that's self-congratulatory, self-serving. Um, we're talking about people that are encouraging them through telling them the secrets of their heart, like telling them things that only God can know, encouraging them with you know what the Lord is speaking to them, not saying you should go here and do this without any confirmation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about them actually like being able to prophetically speak things that only God could know. Those are the things that are encouraging. When you get up and you call yourself a prophet and you say, God told me to tell you this. And it's like, you know, you should marry this person or you should go do this. And it's like, oh, okay. I sure, I guess. 
maybe because you're the prophet, I should do it. That's not how this works. When a prophet gets up and, and says, the Lord just told me that you are supposed to be doing this or he's told you to do this. And it's something that the Lord has already spoken to you. And you know that and you're like the only person that knows that like, oh my gosh, like they just accurately heard the Lord on my behalf. That's a completely different story. And that's for the most part, what we're talking about here. Verse 33, after spending some time there, they went, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Remember, Mark left in the town, the city of Perga. And so Paul was like, ah, I don't really want to take him. He banded us once. I don't want to take him again. And, uh, and so here we go. Verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So this issue of John Mark, right, who is a relative of Barnabas, this brings them into such sharp disagreement. They're like, it's intractable. Barnabas is like, I'm taking Mark. If you want to come with us, Paul, you're coming with me and Mark. And Paul's like, I'm not going with Mark. I'm not going to, to go on this trip. I, I don't really understand. I've, I've heard different people say, well, this was kind of a sinful response from Paul. Maybe it was. I've heard people say, well, this is just, I mean, this is life. This is not necessarily sin or not sin. This is just sometimes we have disagreements. And actually, in this case, the Lord uses this disagreement to double the number of missionary teams that are leading, leaving from Antioch, right? Instead of one team of people going to one place, you've got two teams now. And so Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus, where, where Barnabas is from, and Paul goes to the area of Turkey, uh, what we call modern-day Turkey, where he's from. He's from Tarsus, and that's in this region here. And so you're now, you're splitting these, these two these groups into two, but you're also doubling the number of, of missionary teams going out. So maybe it was sinful. Maybe it wasn't. I, I, the, the scripture does not say that this was a sinful response. They just came into disagreement. There's nothing wrong with disagreement. And sometimes there's not even anything wrong with intractable disagreement. Now you can make intractable disagreements sinful. <laughs> We're, we can find ways to do that, but just because there's a disagreement and you're like, okay, well you go that way and I'm going to go this way. That doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't make it sinful. Again, it can be, but just by default doesn't mean that, that Paul was sinning by doing this. Now, again, there's people that say that he did. People say he didn't. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us, and I don't really want to weigh in on that. I mean, I don't want to cast judgment on on Paul on whether or not he was sinning and doing this, but there is there's a way to disagree without sinning. Um, and so that's definitely a possibility. But the outcome here is that everyone 
everyone in Antioch's like, actually, this is not such a bad thing. We're doubling the number of missionary teams we have. So you go that way, you go that way. And everyone's actually happy with the outcome of this. And we know that later, whatever problem Paul had with Mark, he tells us in his epistles later that that's settled, right? He and Mark are fine, that they love each other, they talk. And so this is not a problem long-term. And what it probably was is that Mark is young and Paul's like, I don't think it's a good idea. Whatever the reasons were for him abandoning them, Paul thinks it's probably not a good idea for him to come. Barnabas disagrees. They go their different ways. And so let us learn within the church to disagree without, again, without being disagreeable. Let us disagree without castigating other people. Let us disagree without sinning. It is possible. Let's, whether or not Paul and Barnabas did that, let's make sure that we can do that, that we can disagree without sinning and that the that actually what ends up happening is a better outcome than what would have happened before the disagreement. That's how we should disagree in the church. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.